0: make can have costly consequences and we can make bad decisions that lead us to regret exactly what we have done or we can be faced in the position where we need to make a decision and the consequences can be quite dreadful this is certainly true of Jacob's decision to settle in the uh, area of Shechem and we read at the end of the last chapter in Genesis 33 this after Jacob came from Padam Aram, he arrived safely in the city of Shechem in Canaan and camped within the site of the city. For a hundred pieces of silver he brought from the sons of Hamar, the family of father of Shechem, the plot of ground where he pitched his tent. What you may not be aware of is that Jacob had actually been told by God to go to Bethel and not to Shechem. And what motivated this move is uncertain. He's not exactly where he should be. He's been told to go to Bethel, and while he's close to Bethel, he is still a day's ride away. Perhaps he was motivated by the opportunity the area offered, because Shechem was a city that sat on the crossing point of trader routes that came in from the sea and went into the land. It was a very prosperous place to be as a trader. It was also close to the Canian, Canaanite city, of whom Camer was the local chieftain, and his elder son Shechem was an important figure. Unfortunately, Jacob's decision seems ill-judged. It was close to obedience, but it was not complete obedience. A state of semi-obedience brought about dire consequences for his family, and for Dinah especially. And Dinah was Jacob's only daughter, She was very precious, of course, to Jacob and Leah and to her 12 brothers. And she would have been around 14 years old when she was taken by Shechem and raped. And the first thing we notice in this passage is this. It's about taking futures. We read in verse 1, And when Shechem was the son of Hamor, the Hivites, the prince of the land, saw her, that's Dinah, he seized her and lay with her and Humiliated her. There's little doubt that these were times when the morality of the people depended upon their upbringing, upon their parents. It, in this time in ancient history, there's little by way of civic order. People were forming into, into towns, into cities, but there was no national law, if you like. That came only later with the great empires like Babylon and Assyria, Egypt, and of course, Israel itself. But the Christian faith is very clear that people are important. People are precious to God. We're made in the image of God. And we are not animals. We are above the animal kingdom. And we're not called to live or behave like animals. Whilst animals have no moral code because they lack intelligence, they lack conscience, mankind is blessed with both. And we are superior. To the animals and have a rigorous ethical standard to live by. But this belief system is totally absent in this story. Shechem was a son of a local chieftain and he behaves both in an entitled and in an arrogant manner. He shows no respect for Dinah and no respect for Dinah's family. His was a threefold action of someone who has little respect for the other person. We are told but he seized her and lay with her and humiliated her. He seized her. He lay with her. He humiliated her. He acts as someone who owns the other, but the other belongs merely for his pleasure. They're an object, not a person. Something to own, something to keep. And at this moment, he's become attracted to Dinah, And having had a a taste of her, he believes that she's worthy of a longer tasting. He wants a relationship longer. and So he asks his father to set about arranging the betrothal, as was the custom of the time. So this local uh, prince seizes a young girl, 13 to 14 years old, rapes her, and then finds his emotion touched. And there's no sense in this story, in this narrative, that even his father Hamer, is angered by his son's behavior. No sense of regret. He doesn't come to Jacob and apologize for his son's behavior, to try and excuse his sons and express regret to Jacob and Leah. There's no indication that this event has even transgressed any moral code among the Shechemites. This rape of a minor and then abduction of her was seen to be almost business as usual. And Jacob's initial reaction is to rate the return of his sons from the field. Perhaps, being in his 70s, he felt he had a little energy left for what needed to be done. And he may also have been simply overwhelmed by grief at the fate of his daughter. And when Dinah's brothers arrive, they are beset themselves with anger. So we are told. The sons of Jacob are coming from the field as soon as they had heard of it, and the men were indignant and very angry, because he had done an outrageous thing in Israel by lying with Jacob's daughter. For such a thing must not be done. Here you've got a different code. Here you've got the code of Israel, the code that's been introduced by God and through the through the patriarch Abraham, uh, uh, Jacob to the people. But that such a behaviour is abhorrent. That word in Hebrew means a heinous thing, a terrible thing. Something that should never, ever be tolerated or even seen. It's a rape of a minor and an abduction of that minor. It's a terrible, terrible thing. And then we see that, into this mixture of these men being angry, these these brothers being angry for the honor of their, their sister, both Shechem and his father. Arrived seeking to arrange the marriage between the two families. And it seems that neither Shechem nor Hamer are even touched by the atmosphere, by the emotion in that encounter, in that meeting, Not even touched by the anger. Perhaps Hamer felt that as the local prince, as the local king, if you like, he and his son were above the law. Perhaps he even thought he was the law. And so in verse 8 and 9, we read this. He says, The soul of my son Shechem longs for your daughter. Please give her to him to be his wife. Make marriages with us. And then Shem Shechem chips in this. Ask me for a greater, brighter price and gift as you will. And I will give whatever you say to me. Only give me the young woman to be my wife. They thought they could simply throw money at it. That was the solution. They were going to buy Dinah, buy the bridal place. It's almost like a cattle market. How much she worth? How much can we make this arrangement to go on? And this is what lay behind Simeon and Levi's desire to take the matters into their own hand. Later on, they throw back to Jacob when he is angry with what they have done, and he says to them in verse 31. Should he treat our sister like a prostitute? There's a sense of outrage that's getting greater because they sense that all that's happening here is this king and his son are simply saying, we're by her. How can you buy the honour of this daughter? The young girl's been seized, raped, and now being held hostage by this chieftain and his son. They simply think money is the answer. That's a bit of a mantra of this 21st century, isn't it? Every man, every woman has their price. And how that's not to be the mantra of the Christian faith. We don't have our price. We have our saviour. And he sets a standard. And his standard is that people are precious. They're not commodities. They are not objects. They can never be uh, bought. How God must, like the sons of Jacob, be outraged at the treatment of some of the people in this country and around the world by some of the very powerful figures that run companies and are in politics who treat people as nothing more than an object. People are always precious to God. He's not interested in our status, the size of our homes or our bank balance. He loves all his creation and demands that everyone live in a moral way, loving each other. Hence, Jesus teaching us that wonderful, um, sorry, that wonderful uh, law, you know, the, the um, golden rule found in John chapter 7, verse 12. So in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you. For this sums up the law of the prophets. If only our world lived by that golden rule. How do you want to be treated? Then treat others the same way. Every person is precious. No one is a piece of meat. No one is a commodity for our enjoyment, our trade, our sexual gratification, our employment or exploitation. God takes our uh, our treatment and the treatment of others very, very seriously. You see this even the way he treats the slave woman Hagar out in the wilderness. God meeting with her in that situation and blessing her. Shechem has taken away Dinah's future. She's no longer a virgin. She'd be viewed in the culture of the time as double, as damaged goods, making it very difficult to ha- arrange a marriage for her in the future. Not to mention the immense trauma caused that woman in what she'd been put through by Shechem and by his father Hamer. But the two brothers of Dinah were hell-bent on taking their response to the next level. And this wasn't just about taking futures. It was about taking lives. The retribution meted out by Jacob's sons was extreme and came in two phases. The first phase was the duo of Simon and Levi slaughtering every male in the town. They'd been cunning, very cunning. And when Simeon and Levi had told Hamer and Shechem, they told him the only problem, the only bar to his marriage was a religious bar. And therefore, if all the men, not only the, the men of the family of, of Hema and Shechem, but all the men of the city, if they were circumcised, therefore, they could go on with this interaction and become one people. This was what's going to happen. And in verse 13, we read this, the sons of Jacob answered Shechem and his father deceitfully, because he had defiled their, the sister, their sister, Dinah. Their plan was to pretend an alliance and then once the men had been circumcised, they knew as Jews how long it would take and how long the healing would take. And this healing would take on average about 14 days. The worst time was on the third day when the healing had began to take place and they were very, very sore and how incapacitating that would be for the men of the city. And so we read in verse 25, on the third day when they were sore, two of the sons of Jacob, Simeon and Levi, Dinah's brothers, took their swords and came against the city while it felt secure, and killed all the males. They punished everyone for the sin of one man. This is punishment without justice or mercy, and is simply magnifying the evil in this tragedy. Rake, rape and kidnap have become mutilation, murder, and massacre. And this is the very nature of sin, isn't it? It's a fire. If allowing it to burn inside us, it will overwhelm us and hurt us. Remember that film in the 70s, I think it was, called The Blob? Remember that, that science fiction film? He had this kind of gluttonous blob of matter that was came from space, and everything it ate, it was eating lots of human beings. And you've got it's a very funny black and white film. So everyone's going ah as they see this blob. And every time the blob eats people, it's it's kind of getting bigger, and it's becoming it goes from a small blob to a, a big blob. And they use all their weapons, but as they fire their weapons into the blob, the blob takes the energy of the weapons, and it grows bigger and bigger. And they discover that the only way to destroy the blob is not with normal weapons, because all that does is increase the power of this monster. And the brothers of Dinah were right to be angry, but they allowed their anger to become a license for an even greater sin and evil. How does the Apostle Paul caution us in Ephesians 4? He says this, In your anger do not sin, Do not let the sun go down while you're still angry. There can be an occasion of righteous anger, and their anger for Dinah was righteous, but they then allowed it to become unrighteous by doing unrighteous things. And as Christians, we are to reflect the nature of our Father. Levi and Simeon should have reflected the nature of what they've been taught by Jacob, but they didn't. They took it to the next level their sister had lost her future, so he took the lives of not just Hamer and Shechem, but all the men of the city. The Bible teaches us a different way. Psalm 78 puts it beautifully: "Yet he, that's his God, yet God was merciful. He forgave their iniquities and did not destroy them. Time after time, he restrained his anger and did not stir up his full wrath. We are not to be people who are driven by our emotions, who simply let go. But as Christians, we are to reflect our Heavenly Father, who is so merciful to us. And this dynamic duel leave the dead bodies of the men behind, strewn about the streets. And then their other brothers arrive, and they go round, and they collect the plunder, and they take the children, they take the wives, they take all the livestock... And it all becomes tribute. So the offense of Jacob's, or the family of Jacob, was even greater than the family of Hamor. In a modern way, they behave like ISIS. They behave like the Taliban. And are reckless and shown no mercy, simply exterminate and kill, and take everything else as their own. They had every right to be angry, every right to seek justice, every right to rescue their sister, but they took far more than Shechem ever did, leaving devastation in their wake. You see, life is precious. Life is given by God. And does not God massively punish Cain because of the murder of his brother Esau? We read in Genesis 4, the Lord said, "'What have you done? Listen, your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground.'" And now you're under a curse and driven from the ground which opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. God hears the cry of those who are murdered and slain and treated brutally. Taking the life of another person is serious because all of us, no matter who we are, carry within us the image of our Creator God. Genesis 9, 6 says this, Whoever sheds human blood by humans shall their blood be shed. in the image of God has God made mankind. Killing another person is actually a blasphemy. Because when you kill another person, immorally or illegally, you take the image of God and destroy it. People are precious in God's sight. But the city of Shechem was not the only thing they destroyed. And when Jacob heard about the massacre, he was furious because he'd not only taken their lives, he'd taken the re- reputation of Jacob and his family. Their lack of self-control and rashness put the precious promised seed again in jeopardy. Jacob and the future of Israel was in danger because now they have become a pariah family. Their hot-headed foolishness had left the people of God exposed. So Jacob shouts at them, My numbers are few, and if they gather themselves against me and attack me, I shall be destroyed, both I and my household. Self-control is always commended in the Bible. It's written in Proverbs chapter 16 this, so apt for this particular story, Better a patient person than a warrior, one with self-control than one who takes a city. Self-control is always Encouraged in the, in the Bible. It's a fruit of the Spirit. And it's taught that all our leaders should d- demonstrate self control. 1 Timothy 3, verse 2. Now the oversight, oversight, that's the elder, now the elder is to be above reproach, faithful to his wife, temperate, self controlled, and so it goes on. It's the mark of the mature Christian. What 2 Peter 1, verse five to six. For this reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness and to goodness knowledge and to knowledge self-control and to self-control perseverance and to perseverance godliness. And it's also to be taught to our young men. Similarly, encourage the young men to be self- controlled. The lack of self-control in these two brothers ended not just in the carnage and murder of the Shechemites but he utterly shed the reputation of Jacob and his family, the Israelites. So Jacob says to Levi and to Simeon, you have brought trouble on me by making me stink to the inhabitants of the land. The people have become a stink, an unpleasant smell to surrounding peoples, and how easy it is for Christians to be just that, little stinkers rather than beautiful people. What we do and say affects how much people view Christians generally. And if we fail to be self-controlled, allow our mouths to run away with us, and our behaviour to be reckless without self-control, how quickly we can make a bad smell, but damages the image of Christ. Something may need to be done to defend the honour of Christians and family members, but you can never win a fight by becoming inhuman. You simply allow evil to win. The name Dinah literally means God will judge. And the tragedy in this story is that Simeon and Levi made it man's judgment and not God's. They took the matters into their own hand. And where is grace in all this? Where is grace? Where is love? Where is any degree of forgiveness or any measure of justice? As Christians, we need to be people of love and grace, not judgmental, not cruel. And the sadness of this story is it's the anger and cruelty of these two young men that forever becomes between their family. Jacob is ever aware of the evil that they have done, so much so that when he's on his deathbed and he's blessing all the 12 sons, when it comes to Levi, And it comes to Simeon. He doesn't bless them. He gives them a curse. Genesis 49 says this, Simeon and Levi are brothers. Their swords are weapons of violence. Let me not enter their council. Let me not join their assembly. For they have killed men in their anger and hamstrung oxen as they pleased. Cursed be their anger, so fierce, and their fury so cruel. Simeon and Levi had betrayed their father Jacob. They had damaged his reputation and, 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 and completely and utterly sullied the reputation of the Israelites. And we are to be careful as Christians never to sully the image of Christianity or our faith. We are to demonstrate the love and character of our Father God. Jesus, even on the cross... What does he cry out to people? Forgive them, Father, for they know not what they do. And so we are to be the sweet smell of Jesus, the sweet smell of grace, the smell of mercy, the smell of compassion in the world in which we live. We are to be different. Like this morning we heard about God being holy, we are to be different and represent our Father by a different way. Paul put it, puts it beautifully in 2 Corinthians 2, verse 15. For we are to God the pleasing aroma of Christ among those who are being saved and to those who are perishing. We are to be different. One of the things I loved when I was a young Christian man was the fact I was a Christian. I had the best fashion statement ever. When all my mates were trying to be like everyone else, I was different just because I was a Christian. And I love to be different. You know, anyone can be a non-Christian. It takes guts and courage to be a Christian. Let me encourage each one of you to be that fragrance, that beautiful fragrance of Christ. Not to make a stink like Levi and Simeon made a stink for Jacob. Let's represent our Father. Let's go out there, let's bring grace into the world. Let's bring beauty into the world. Let's bring mercy into the world. Amen. So we'll stand and sing our